0: Hey everybody, welcome to Story Life. This is a podcast about the ups and downs of living a creative life through the eyes of two independent filmmakers. Uh, My name is Clinton Cornwell, one of those independent filmmakers, and I'm here with my co-host, Alan C. Gardner.
1: Uh, Folks, this is episode 30. Which we we're just crushing right out of the gate. No, but really, this is, a, this is a recording of a panel that Clinton spoke on at South by Southwest. Um, was the panel called Releasing a Micro Budget in a Cast Trap World? Is that just the name of the file?
0: No, that's what was <laughs> that's what the panel was called. This is, like is nothing we usually do on the podcast, but um, this is definitely yeah, this aligned is with different. our content. And uh, I was on this panel at South by Southwest 2023. And I thought I would share it with y'all.
1: Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, I loved listening to it. I've heard it a couple of times now, actually. And you did an awesome job, dude. I was really, uh, thanks, really proud of you, old friend. Yeah, thanks. Absolutely.
0: Uh, also, just a big thanks to my fellow panelists, Laura Reich and Zana Theris. Uh They are both awesome filmmakers as well. You can connect with them on Twitter for Zayna and Instagram for Laura. And they'd love to hear from you.
1: Yeah, I love their... Uh, I love their insights as well No, I, I gotta check out their work
0: Before we get into the meat of the episode though I uh, just wanted to put it out there for you guys Me and Alan uh, We'd love to support our fellow artists Our fellow filmmakers We have a creative consulting uh, business And if you think that might be useful to you at all If you're struggling with any part of your creative process uh, Hit us up We do free 30 minute consultations We're happy to like answer questions And talk you through things then There's no pressure or obligation at all We just love connecting with people. So you can check that out uh, at our website, wearestorylife.com.
1: Agreed. Love to hear from you guys. All right. Let's uh, let's check out this panel.
2: We're here to talk about micro-budget filmmaking and distribution. Something not so easy, but everyone here is going to talk about um, how they've made it happen. Um, And we'd certainly love to hear from you um, and your experiences as well. Um, so I'm going to um just say who's on the panel, but then I'll let everyone introduce themselves. Um so everyone's filmmakers. Um I would just introduce myself. Um my name's Tiffany. I've come to South by for 15 years. Um I'm from Houston, but I've lived in London a long time. I work for a company called Studio Canal, which is um sort of that weird indie kind of um landscape in Europe. Um And I, yes, I work on the marketing side, but I also write for trade uh, magazines like Screen International and Filmmaker Magazine. Um, And I've, yeah, written a lot about independent filmmaking and worked in independent filmmaking. So I'm very passionate about it. Um, So I'm going to introduce this is Laura Reich. um, And then over here is Zaina Thyris. And then we have Clinton Cornwell. And everyone uh, lives sort of across the U.S. Um, I think it also reiterates you don't have to live in New York, L.A. to make films. Um, so I'm just going to segue right over. Laura, tell us a little bit about your background.
3: Sure. Um, so I'm a producer and head of production at, at a company called Vibrant Penguin. We do a lot of like branded content sort of multimedia emerging media and then at the same time developing our own original creative and then i work on a lot of projects outside of um that work that is often in the micro budget space um and yeah bringing that sort of combining those two worlds making making things all the time essentially
4: (laughs) hi everyone i'm zayna from chicago um I am a creative strategist by day. So I'm the filmmaker with a full-time job. I've always had a full-time job. I make films for fun. Um, and creative strategy, basically, in advertising, uh, I work with brands or our clients to synthesize demographic information, client information, and write creative briefs for copywriters to um, write the commercials. So that's what I do to pay my bills. And then outside of that, I'm an indie filmmaker, a weekend filmmaker specifically, um, doing micro-budget films. Um, I've always worked with very, very small budgets, most self-funded from my savings account. And my films are distributed on Tubi, Amazon Prime, and IndieFlix.
0: Clinton Cornwell. uh, I'm a writer and director. I've directed two micro-budget feature films Probably about seventeen short films at this at this point. Uh, I also recently became head of the film program at Tennessee State University, which is a HBCU in Nashville. Uh, I also currently am editing a feature documentary called Light Up. Uh, it's about queer black men in Atlanta. I'm also the cinematographer currently on a feature horror film in production, also in Atlanta, kind of doing the weekend thing there. Um, I have a creative consulting business. And coaching business, we're called Story Life, and we have a podcast called the Story Life Podcast that focuses on the creative process, especially uh, through the eyes of filmmakers. Uh, so, yeah, a little bit of everything. Oh, I also do freelance location sound works, if anybody <laughs> needs <laughs> needs any help with that. Uh, so a little bit of everything, and I feel like that's really part of the, the game of being an independent filmmaker as well. So, yeah.
2: So I think we'll start with sort of this... Um this question that even amongst us we've had um, a lot of questions about is what um what constitutes a micro budget, and um it's really interesting you know what everyone's thoughts are about that so um and and you know I'll kind of go through everyone, maybe talk about how that pertains to you and your budgets you know even like what what um size budget for overall for your film does does that mean
3: yeah um we're going down the line uh so i think micro budget like can mean a lot of different things usually like sag is a reference point right for a lot of this conversation they have a micro budget contract it's 20k um and then they also but they're like you know uh ultra low budget feature is 300k right so i think like the span of what's considered a micro budget varies a lot um And just when we were talking about it, I think micro budget isn't like sort of a an approach in a lot of ways where your where your project is being made, you know, not through funding solely. Right. It's a project that where you're work- collaborating with creators that you like. Everybody is a lot of people are donating their time. Um, and that it is sort of right in this space where like you need to find close collaborators where you're making an exchange. And it's less so about, right, a job or a, a paycheck or, you know, that sort of thing. But it's a creative endeavor where you're finding a team of collaborators you're working with to make a film, um, which is what I consider a micro
4: budget film. I would wholeheartedly agree. Um, the biggest budget that I've had is $10,000. The smallest I've had is $1,200. I've done feature docs and narrative shorts. I'm branching into narrative features this year, but, um, micro budget, I, it's always been to me anything like under 50k. Um, so, and, and to your point, the approach is really, it is really collaborative. Um, I have actually have a podcast called the Micro Budget Indie Filmmakers Podcast, and it walks filmmakers through the entire micro budget production process from script to screen, and each season has a corresponding workbook with templates, but – the whole premise of that podcast is really about collaboration and really about finding filmmakers who are just as hungry as you are, networking across, meeting people at events like this, and working with skeleton crews. Um the biggest crew that I've had is ten people. I've done feature documentaries with five people before in one location. you know, so like it's it's really that mindset. Well, it we're not making a blockbuster. We're telling a story, and what's the most efficient way to do that while still maintaining, you know, the quality of the film and maintaining the story?
0: Yeah, I think you all nailed it, and so something I'll just add from my own personal experience is the way that I like to think about it in terms of the smallest amount of money I can typically do a day production for, and that number for me I've found is on average around $500 per per shooting day is kind of how I like to think about it when I'm budgeting my things. Now that, there's a lot of experience that comes from that in terms of the films that I've made for myself and how I like to make my movies, Uh, but um At the end of the day, though, I mean, you can do micro budget filmmaking for zero dollars a day under the right circumstances, and I think you know. Something that really defines micro-budget filmmaking is the spirit of not letting our resources define the types of movies we're going to make, the stories that we're going to tell. It's not letting that stop us from going out and creating our art because I think this is something we'll be repeating over and over again in this panel. Just the creation of your art, just the creation of your films, even if they're made for zero dollars, that act, that effort, that has value in and of itself and and that will – gain you so much in this world that will attract people to you. You will learn from that experience. And so I think that really for me is what the spirit of micro budget filmmaking is about.
2: And if we start to segue um, into the distribution side, which everyone knows whether you have a lot of money or you have no money is extremely challenging right now. Um, How, I guess maybe one question could be, um, what are you know do you need a distributor um to get your film out there or can you do this DIY um and if you do with DIY do you need an aggregator um i know it's kind of a big question um you know but as you're starting to think about okay you finished production and i i need to get this out there what are what are the first things um you start to think about in terms of who can help you with that
3: yeah I mean, I don't think you need anyone, right? Like, the reality – I mean, you need – like, you'll need a team. A movie cannot – I mean, okay, actually, I don't want to say this. Someone could prove me wrong very easily. I think you could make it totally by yourself. You know, there are going to be places you can't get to. That's true. But you can make your movie. You can get it somewhere for people to see. Like, the only thing – Stopping you is your ingenuity, your willingness to reach out to people, and your tenacity to continue pushing. You know, like, I think it's – the the thing I always, like, reference is, like, let everybody else tell you no. Like, don't be the person telling yourself no. So go ahead – Do what, like, tell the stories you want to tell, make the media you want to make. But it is like, you know, and I do think you have to, like, you should certainly have a plan and a goal. But, like, for example, you know, you can put your movie on Vimeo on their site for, you know, to make money on it as part of their, like, Vimeo on demand. There is no barrier to entry there besides making sure your film meets their specifications, right? That's distribution. You can put your film on YouTube monetize it that's distribution right like there is a path to distribution for you no matter what you can have a lofty goal of getting like to a distributor um that has its own hurdles and like issues and like barriers but i think nothing should stop anyone from thinking they can get their movie to an audience
4: Agreed. I for me, uh, the distribution, the marketing and distribution plan starts as soon as the script is done, or as soon as the uh, production outline is done for the documentary. It starts very early on because I'm always thinking, okay, who is the audience I want to reach with my film? And the reality is, not everybody's going to resonate with your film. Not everybody's going to like your film, and that's okay. We've all seen films that either we loved or not so much. So every film has an audience. And then once I identify, okay, who is this, who is the audience I want to reach with that film? That is what dictates my film festival distribution list. I'm looking at the film festivals that cater to the audience that I want to reach. And a lot of times there are those like really niche indie film festivals in the towns that I've never heard of that have the exact theme of my film. Um, Outside of that, looking at unconventional ways to distribute my film too. So some of my docs are very educational. So working with an educational library distributor was really great for me because they were the ones who had the contacts to thousands of schools, whether they were, you know, they had in anthropology programs, women's studies programs, African-American history programs that were perfectly aligned with the theme of my film. Um, same with uh, national conferences, Um, getting my film screened at the American public health national associations conference was incredible and better than any festival that my film ever screened at. Um, So just for me, it starts once the film is done, identifying that audience and then crafting a very specific distribution plan based on how I want to get there, how I want to reach that audience. And sometimes that involves a distributor if they have the contacts that I don't have, but a lot of times it's, it's that outreach that I'm doing myself.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sort of piggybacking off of what you're saying, I think, you know, traditionally the word distribution almost is shorthand for maximum extraction of revenue for your film. But I feel like for us up here, I know it's true, and certainly I feel like probably for a lot of people in this room, your goal isn't necessarily how do I extract the most dollars for my amount of time invested in my film. Like so the question to me starts with in terms of distribution what are my goals at the very mm-hmm. beginning of a project or once i've finished a project what are my goals right you don't need to necessarily fall into what hollywood wants to do wants you to do with your film or what the world wants you to do with your films what is your personal goals with your films is it just to connect with a few people personally uh, about the content of your film there's lots of different ways to go about that is there uh, is it to sort of up your profile as a filmmaker or up up your um up your kind of like career path. Like there's ways to go about that. Is it to get the message of the film out there, getting in front of as many people as possible? There's ways to go about that. And so, you know, and I, 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 feel like very few of us is about let me just make the most dollars back as possible. I mean, filmmaking is an expensive endeavor and I don't begrudge anybody trying to make money back from their films, but Often in this space, that's not our number one goal. And so it's important to check in with yourself. Like, what do you really want from your film? And then develop a strategy around that. And for example, my first feature film, 12 Months, from the very beginning, we were making that film. It was like an experimental way of making that film. And I told everybody on the team, like, hey, I don't know how this is going to work. We may end up putting this thing just out on YouTube at the end of this. But at the end of the day, this film is just about us One, creating something that we're all extremely proud of just for the experience of it. And two, hopefully raising our career a little bit by connecting with other people, connecting with other filmmakers through this film. And in terms of strategy, that made my main distribution, the film festival circuit, or when I meet filmmakers that I'm connecting with, just sending them a screener so that they can see my work, I can see their work, and we can connect as creatives and hopefully like help each other on our journeys. And for me, that's distribution. Mm -hmm. Now, I've recently signed with a distributor on the film, right? And we signed a distribution company. But to me, it's almost been like an afterthought, because I don't care that much about making a bunch of money on the film. I self-financed it. Mm -hmm. And I was happy to do that from the very beginning of the process. So what happens now in terms of the dollar value coming back, I don't care that much. I'd like to get it out to the world and see what comes of that. But I'm also – I'm on to the next film. I went to the film festival circuit. I've connected with other filmmakers. I'm on to other films now because I did my distribution yeah, plan. For
3: sure. It's a good point. The goal conversation, which we come back to a lot when we've been talking about this, is like with distribution – Of course, like, every filmmaker wants to make money because then they can make more films, right? If your film makes money, you can tell someone your film made money and then they'll give you money to make a film or you got that money back, which means you can now make another film. But I do think, especially with micro-budget and working in an indie space, like, you have to have secondary goals or, you know, tertiary goals where you're like, what am I really hoping to get out of this as a creator? You know, what am I building here? Because it is, I think, like you do just have to be making stuff. And so that means a lot for a lot of us, we're making stuff in the micro budget space. So what are you really trying to do when you're asking your community to support you in telling a story? Right. And I think you owe them like an outcome, right? If you're asking someone to come on board with you, to give, give you their time, you should have a goal in mind. You should have a vision for where you want to see it go so that you're honoring all this like sweat and blood that people are giving you to tell a story
4: for sure. I think it's the goal conversation we've talked about a lot. And it, it's it really is about defining what success is for you. And I had to learn that very early on in my filmmaking career like I knew that I was not cut out to write the 20 million dollar stri- scripts and go to Hollywood and pitch. That was just not me. I knew that I was the filmmaker that was going to have a full full-time job with PTO and, you know, like that that was literally me and I was going to make films when and how I could, you know, based on the connections I had, the the collaborators that were interested in collaborating with me. And to me, being able to make films, not because, you know, I got to write something that's going to sell. No, I'm writing what I want to write and I'm making what I want to make. And that to me, having the autonomy in in that way is success to me. It's not really about... The recouping of the cost, or how many millions of people see the film. You know, to your point, if I can get 200 students to watch my film called Black Feminist, and one of them goes on, you know, to do some incredible work because of it, that's success for me. Um, Another one of my films that I did, a filmmaker emailed me and said it saved their life, and that to me is like, okay, that's the impact that I want to make as a filmmaker. So. Similarly here, like we all have different individual goals, but for me, it's in the micro budget space, it's not about money. And that's why I love being in, in
2: this space. I have a question in terms of, um, so your goal, let's say, you know, you want to get it to as many people, um, or you want to get it to a specific audience, but you don't know how. So do you take on a sales agent? Um, and if so, what is that process or like how much money are they going to take from you, especially when you don't have much money or and or do you get a, a distributor, you know, and a specific distributor that that works in that niche, um, you know, that you're looking at? And again, how much are they going to take from your budget? Yeah,
0: I'll say like a general answer to this question is that uh, I'm sure y'all are learning already, but. Almost every part of the filmmaking process you can learn and do yourself now. And that includes everything with distribution. You can do it yourself, and that's going to be the most sort of like money wise, the best way for you to do it. Because everything that you are not doing, somebody else is taking a chunk of your film, right? Uh, whether it's distributors, aggregators, marketing people, whoever, everybody's going to want. A piece of your film or payment for you for to put that effort towards your film. And so, you know, I think grounding yourself first in sort of how could I do this myself? What is it gonna take for me? Am I interested in doing that? A lot of times the answer is no. A lot of times the answer it's worth having these people do the work for you. But know that at the end of the day. The most "quote unquote" profitable, money-wise way for you to do things is to do it yourself. yourself. (laughs) Like, there's no magic bullet.
3: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the point is though, access, right? Like you, like a sales agent, they're going to take a ten to twenty percent cut minimum of any deal they get, and then you know, so you get a that deal, that person's taking another thirty percent cut, right? So what you end up trickling down is like tiny. But so the, the film I'm in distribution on right now called All Sorts. It's a feature. We ended up not signing with a distributor. We had a sort of horrible experience. Uh, we were negotiating with someone for months. They ended up having a bad weekend with a movie. They dropped the deal. We signed with another distributor, and they um ended up, like, disappearing after a few months, and we managed to get our rights back. But we were working with, like, a producer's rep who worked for a flat fee to pitch us out, and she was able to leverage that relationship to get our contract nullified um and so after that we were we decided like we're done we're gonna go with like an aggregator which means we just pay a service fee to get our film on a site so all sorts is on you know itunes amazon um and we put it up on vimeo ourselves um and so they don't we just paid them for that they don't take a cut that was just for our tvod which we can get into all the windowing but you know like um we did end up also working with another producer who essentially worked as a sales agent for us. And she, you know, she got us on airlines. Like, we're on Emirates and Qatar now. That was one of the best deals our film got. 100% worth signing with her to take our film there. Mm-hmm. There was no way we were ever going to get our film on airlines without her, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, it is your your film. Like, these people are doing work for you, right? So, they're taking a cut. It's understandable. And they're getting you access to something you might not get otherwise. And we did actually make money off of airlines, which is amazing. But like, you know, even from that deal, someone like saw the movie. This sort of is to your point of like the impact you make. Someone saw the movie flying from the UAE to, I think, Amsterdam. He was like, I loved your movie. Uh, my, I want my wife to see it can I do your French subtitles for you? He did French subtitles for us. Now our film has French subtitles. You know, like it's stuff like that is like amazing. The community just by making something like and getting it out there, like the community that comes back to you just being open and receptive and responsive to people like that's so random. I could never predict something like that
4: happening. And it's, it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Tiffany, you made such a, you, you pointed out something, um, how to get, your film to the audience. Yeah. And when it comes to understanding audiences, and this is a little bit of my strategy brain coming in cuz this is part of my day job, but it's really important for you to understand the demographic, for you to understand the market. What are the things that they're into? How are they consuming content? You know, like what in what ways are you able to best market your film to reach this particular group? that you're trying to, you know, get your film seen by. And for me, like I will I will literally go to the film festivals that I want to submit my films to and I'll see what filmmakers follow them. And if they fit into the demographic that I think would resonate with my film. I look at the previous films that they the film festival has programmed years prior to see if this is in line with this type of things that they program or if the film has a theme and if the film – festival has a theme. And if that theme is in line with what my film will, you know, fit under. So doing your research to really understand audiences is also a huge part of figuring out when, how, and where to distribute your film. Because if there's, if you are dealing with a market that you feel like you don't have direct access to, or you can't really figure out, that's when I'm like, okay, I need to work with the distributor who can tap into this particular audience. But if it's an audience that I feel like I can easily reach through a specific market plan, then that's when I'll do it myself. So it just – it really depends on the project. It really depends on the audience and also understanding that audience.
0: Well, and just saying like that's that's something that we're lucky to be in the age that we are is all of that demographic information used to be locked behind closed doors and almost inaccessible to the average filmmaker, but now you – can use the tools available to you oftentimes to figure out where your demographics are, where your audiences are, who might like your content, like where those people are at and and make those connections a little bit more easily. Like you're never going to have a hundred percent conversion rate. Not everybody's going to be right for your film. Not everybody's (laughs) going to love your film. Our art form is extremely subjective, you know, but helping yourself out by putting in in front of people who are more predisposed to your work, you can find out who those people are now much more easily than you were able to in the past.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll just say real quick too, like, um, this is sort of going back a little bit, but like, when, also when like a deal doesn't work out, our perspective a lot has been like, that's fine. Like if it, you shouldn't try to force things, I guess is what I'm saying. Because if someone is like not interested, they're not going to do the work for your film, right? So like trying to, because you have something in your mind, you want a specific thing and you're like, I'm not going to settle for anything else. If those people are telling you they don't want your film, you should listen to them. Like, Mm -hmm. so in, in some ways the deals that didn't work out for us, it's like a blessing, right? Because why, why would we have wanted a deal with someone where You know they're not interested anymore. We want you want people who are enthusiastic and who and that's sort of to your point of finding people who are working in the space that your film is functioning in. Is you want to find the people who are enthusiastic about your film because they are going to put the effort behind getting it out for you. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, just like summing that point up. Oftentimes when we're making our micro-budget films, it's like, hey, let's let's level up the film by finding the most professional person or the the most professional actor and like. You know, have them, maybe they'll do a favor for us. It'd be lovely for them to do a favor. And sometimes that works out, right? But a lot of times, if you're asking people to, to like take a step down from what they usually get paid or the kind of work environment they're usually a part of. They give you less effort as a result. They're not giving you as much of their time. And so there's almost like a micro budget independent like vibe you feel yeah. from people. And I, like my, my experience has been, I'd much rather have somebody who's there with the right vibe, with the right enthusiasm, who's really down for the process to engage yeah. in it, be a part of it. Because there's clear incentives there for you, right? Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of directors here in this room. And something that I think is important as a leader of a project is, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, what are the people working with you getting out of your film? You should be able to answer that question. Everybody should have reasons why they're working for it, even if it's not money, right? If you're not offering money, you should be able to be offering something else like, you know, some collaboration you can offer them in return, somebody you can connect them to, some sort of experience that they haven't had before. But that should be clear. Clear to you as a leader because you have a responsibility as a filmmaker. Like when you're bringing people onto your projects, to make sure that they're having a good experience and to make sure they're getting something out of your project. And if you can't provide something for those people, maybe you should have less people on your project. You know,
4: and and exposure is vague. You know, like I've heard this a lot from people. Like, oh, you're like you'll get great exposure. No, no, no. Like for me, I provide every single person on my team, even if it's a team of four people that I'm making a documentary with, with the first of all, the production schedule. So they know when they're going to get footage for the reel. They're going to know what we're shooting on. So they'll know the quality of footage that they'll get for their reel. Um, IMDb credit and the film festival distribution list, the distribution plan. Like these are the festivals I'm submitting to. We cannot guarantee acceptance, but it shows that you have a plan for your film. And that makes, you know, even non monetary incentives. I've worked with camera operators who wanted an an opportunity to DP something, to be like the lead cinematographer and put together the shot list for something and they never had a chance to – absolutely I've worked with art directors in you know the agency space creative agency space who wanted a chance to actually design a, a movie poster I'm like sure absolutely mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of different ways that you can you know offer non-monetary incentives for collaborators and not feel bad about it either there's a difference between collaborating and exploiting none of us are multi-million dollar corporations and we all understand that like if we had the money we absolutely would pay each other's day rates but if for me working a full-time Job and saving up thirty five hundred dollars to make a film over the course of a weekend. No, I can't afford to pay an eight hundred dollar day rate for everybody on this team. That's that's exceeds my budget, you know. So figuring out, you know, understanding that it's okay to move forward in a collaborative type of nature, but making sure you're not exploiting filmmakers by actually providing real incentives that that they would value is really really important. And well,
2: this sort of taps in, um, but. I know a lot of people. Um, again, especially if you're working on a small set, will say, "Well, will, our, will the film be seen on the big screen? You know, will it get a theatrical release?" And um, and this can also tie in with windowing. Um, you know, what can you is it can you get a theatrical release for a micro budget? And we you talked about this a little bit about how you how you could get a couple one off screenings. Um, um, and then you can also talk about, like, do you also then kind of go a more traditional route of distribution and aim for the T-VOD, the S-VOD, the A-VOD, or can, you know, nowadays it seems like things, you can go straight to A-VOD or, but then can you still have a one-off theatrical screening? Um, I know there's lots of different answers for that. Yeah.
3: So there's, people are always going to tell you there are rules. Uh there aren't. Like, there's always an exception. I mean, like, we've been, we were told, like, cable's impossible, because we already did our TVOD. But then we had a cable distributor come ask us to want to screen the film, you know. So it is like, everybody, I, I think, like, the big thing is, even us, like, we're gonna have our opinions, right? But the truth is, like, take it into the whole worldview of the ecosystem of the just distribution, right? Like you will always find an exception, but I will say, I think there is some truth to windowing. So generally I'll do a a real quick version, I guess, right? So you start with theatrical because that's the biggest ask of your audience. You're asking them to leave their home and buy a ticket and sit in an audience. Then you go to TVOD, which is uh, transactional EST um, television on demand, right? So that's where they're buying or renting, that's another, that's like the next threshold, right? Then you go to, then it's usually SVOD, right? Subscription on demand. So they've paid to be a subscriber. And then it's AVOD, advertising on demand, which means really anybody who's willing to watch an advertisement can see it, right? And they window it because the idea is that, The, once it's on with advertising, people aren't going to pay to see your movie, right? So that's why you do your TVOD before you do your SVOD, because then they're just going to watch it on their subscription instead of paying for it. I think there's some truth to this, but I think it's sort of like, and some distributors might tell you they don't want your movie anymore because it is available on TVOD or because it's on AVOD. You know, they might say maybe the, they view educational Your educational rights as in conflict with AVOD because the library lets someone watch it, you know, without an ad, whereas, you know, uh, AVOD wants someone to watch it with that ad. So they're saying, oh, the audience is just going to go to Canopy. Um, but even, well, just a quick note, even with that, like your educational rights can be divided even more. Like these are all, sorry, these are all different rights that your film has, right? And understanding that too, like our airline rights are a specific right. Our, our hotel right is a specific right. Our educational right is a specific right. And so all of those are like segmented, and you can sign them all to one person, which is what a distributor generally wants. They say, I want to take all your rights for your film. The question here is, are they going to exploit all those rights? If they can't tell you how they're going to exploit all those rights, you should not sign your rights to that distributor. If they're saying, we have a great plan to get you like your TVOD rights exploited, you should say, great, then I want this agreement to be only for the transactional EST rights. You know, like I, and then you keep the rest of those rights and you find someone to exploit your educational rights. You find someone to exploit your hotel rights. Like don't over-sign your rights away, especially as an indie filmmaker, because a lot of those distributors don't have a plan for each of those windows, for each of those rights. Um, I will say theatrical, just, to really to get back to your question theatrical is very hard to make money because to get people to go to a theater especially after the pandemic is hard our film all sorts did do a theatrical release we did it on our own with um ticket sale like ticket sale splits so we didn't um for wall which is another term we were discussing earlier where you pay the theater to screen your film um so that so it takes a lot of advertising effort, right? So every time we went to a theater and said, are you willing to screen our film? We said, here's our, here's our marketing plan for this screening, right? Because they don't want to take the risk on your film and putting it in a theater if no one's going to show up because then they've wasted a bunch of resources on you, um, which is why theatrical is so tricky. But there's even a whole world of theatrical options out there. If you're like, I want theatrical, there's a ton of creative... Like platforms for that we used one called Proludio, which works with art house theaters. We got our film there so that the art house theaters can program your film. They send you all the theaters that have it I, We emailed every single theater that used that service. There's another one called like Kit Connecta, Caneva or something anyway there's lots of options, so if you're like, "I want my movie to screen in theaters, there are paths for that. It's just that You know, that's a goal thing. Like, is it just the optics you want to say your movie screened in a theater? Great, but like, do you want that theater to be empty? You know, like, like does that is that meaningful to you? Still, the fact, just the fact that it's screened, but who's in the audience? There is no audience if you're not putting the muscle behind telling people you're having a screening and why they're showing up. Which is why a lot of independent filmmakers travel with their films, right? Mm -hmm. Because the sell is, I'm here with my film you're by coming to my film, you're getting access to me. You're getting to hear my story, but that's also something that you
4: have to has costs, right? yeah, I think you made a a really good point that there are no rules for me. I love getting my film on a streaming platform and targeting the very niche. Small indie film festivals that don't have rules around programming. So, like, it doesn't matter if your film is on a streaming platform or available to the public because. They're, they're, they're a smaller festival, but those are some of the the best festivals, so, you know, get, get filmmakers in a room, screen your project, and then let them know you can watch the film on this platform. Tell your friends to go watch the film on the platform. So kind of doing it backwards is a way that I love doing it because it's continuously driving pools of audiences to a particular platform. Um, and then for some filmmakers, it's like, oh, no, I want to premiere at, you know, an Oscar qualifying film festival. And I want to try to meet with a sales agent to sell it, to get it on a platform. There are literally no rules <laughs> to, to doing it. You just have to figure out what makes sense for you and what aligns with what you would see as, you know, the most successful, and the most mm-hmm. viable option for your film.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely comes back to, again, one of your objectives at the end of the day. But I don't know about y'all, but so many letters, a There's so many. there's so many yeah. things, there's so many details to all this stuff. And the fact of the matter is, with technology right now and how tied up our industry is with, like, the whims of corporations like Amazon and YouTube and Netflix and things like that, things can change on a dime just yeah. on the decision that one of these corporations makes uh, and in fact I've seen it it's like one week Amazon Prime is taking all independent films and paying 12 cents per minute and then the next week they're paying like a penny per minute and that whole like method of like releasing your film I'm like suddenly dead it's not worthwhile and that just changes just like that and so I think one of the messages here is this it's a lot there's a lot of stuff out there it is it is super overwhelming and if you're feeling that like that's not just you that that's that's everybody else that's us up here too but I think it's on you as the independent filmmaker to to educate yourself and to make sure that you're going out there finding the information because it's constantly changing. A lot of things that we're saying here, you know, are going to be out of date soon. And so when you're out there ready to release your film, whether it's a short film or a feature film, you know, put in the work as, your, as a creator to educate yourself about what current distribution is like, what's working for people, what's not working for people. And some of the resources that I've really used to to do that is there's lots of great independent filmmaking podcasts out there that talk about distribution a lot and, and have recent guests that that are up on those things. Um you know there's YouTube channels out there and something where I've found is like Facebook groups and Reddit groups because if you look for articles, right, if you just like Google Independent film distribution, you get some article from like six years ago, which is like, this is all useless information. This isn't relevant anymore. But if you go into places like Reddit, or uh, there's Facebook groups, which if you add me on Instagram, I'll happily link you to some of the, the these Facebook groups that I'm talking about that will help have up-to-date distribution information. Mm-hmm. There's filmmakers there who are currently doing it in the process with these companies talking about how much they're getting paid, what they're making, what's their experience like with all these distributors. It's up-to-the-date, up-to-the-minute like information, and they're happy to share as part of the community. So come, be a part of these communities, and like have that exchange, contribute positively to them, because nobody's bringing the information to us, unfortunately. Unfortunately, these companies don't want to give us information they don't want us to know what the best path is we have to help each other out and through these like community sites is a be- it's, I've found is mm-hmm. one of the best way to find that information. you have a question then? Oh. Someone, Someone, you oh sorry sorry I
2: didn't see yeah, um, So the title of the panel is micro Budget but I heard you mention
1: independent film a little bit. Yeah. I recently took a uh, advanced direction class where the guy just like destroyed our dreams by like saying, look, independent film died with blockbuster, and you're only going to be micro budget forever, because even if you did get the five radio being studios, even if you did get a, a gig with them, they're going to tell you what to do, you're not going to see your vision. The age of the auteur is dead.
0: That guy sucks.
4: Yeah, like, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, like, when you talk about advancing your career,
0: like,
1: how, like, and his proof was like name a auteur and we all named a bunch of was but yeah they're all from the 70s 80s and 90s there's no new ones you know
2: well who's next to how so,
1: many? like is there is there hope for that sort of thing i mean can you get to a major studio where they're going to let you do your vision or like
3: you um, this is a wrong thing. no i mean if so uh, micro budgeting is independent film independent film is a term that you know what does it mean? You know, a twenty four people call that independent. Those are million dollar movies. Okay, are you considering that independent? In a lot of ways, you know, it's outside the main studio system. But so I, the the independent film spectrum is huge, right? Um, and I think what we're talking about specifically is like not letting any of those barriers stop you, not letting a budget stop you, uh, like not letting anything stop you from telling a story if you feel passionately about telling a story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, yeah, I would say like that is patently not true, I guess. And it comes down to two, like, what is his metric for success for auteur for any of those things? And it seems to me that he's, his is, um, making money in a box office. Is that going to happen for your micro budget? Amazing. If it does amazing, but the reality is no, it's probably not. Is your micro budget going to make money? Maybe not. Right. And that's sort of what we're getting at is like, what are your goals? Because part of it is building, right. Your, you you want to make movies. If, if, if you're here, it is because you want to make movies, I'm guessing. So if you want to make movies, do it. Don't like, don't let any of these barriers stop you. But what that means is you're collaborating with your peers. You're right. Like you need to tap into your people at your level people coming up and work with them but i do think it's like if your goal is to have a box office smash you know like you can work towards that goal but like that you're going to be destined to be very unhappy (laughs) but if you want to be a filmmaker you can be and and i think it's it's amazing like collaborating like just meeting you all has been so life-giving and fulfilling Mm -hmm. and like you know like to me that's what i'm here for i'm here to Help people tell stories and work with people that I think are talented and make make an impact. Maybe it's not as big. Maybe this auteur argument is like a national thing. But I think everything in media has become smaller, right? Every, every group that is watching stuff is more concentrated. You know, just as a small example, like we work with Twitch sometimes. We do like a streaming show. I get into that community. I'm like, these are millions of people doing stuff I've never heard of before, you know? And it's like, but to them, that's huge, right? So it is just that, like, I think the networks and the world is becoming smaller because there's so many more places to access things. And I think that's the Artur argument, is that before there was one one avenue, right? And now there is thousands of avenues. Yeah. So there are all these people being Arturs in their own sphere, and that's amazing. I have-
2: I was, I can uh, think of an example in the UK um, during lockdown, someone made a, a film, a horror film uh, for literally, I don't know, 500 bucks and uh, you know, it went viral or, you know, it got lots of attention on YouTube. And because of that, then he got, um, I don't know uh, how much, but he got a fair chunk of money um, to make a, a, a much bigger budget film just out of lockdown. And it was just because he just was like, I'm not, I, I'm going to go for it. And so I, I think I I do think it is possible. I, I think I think these are like stepping stones. You have to go for it in order to get 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 there.
4: But it's also I mean, and I can only speak for myself. I have zero interest in the Hollywood studio circuit whatsoever. I've been to LA once in my life, and it's like I just to me being a part of the machine is just not appealing to me. And we keep coming back to this point of like, you have to define what success is for you. I am not trying to make a box office hit. I am not trying to work with any of the studios because to your point, you lose autonomy over your project the moment you sign a deal with them. It is no longer your project. Your vision, it's really, it becomes what's going to sell. Ryan Coogler was like, that was not the version of Black Panther that I wanted y'all to see. And it's like, it's not it's not yours once it becomes an, an entities. And I think that the beauty of micro budget filmmaking is being able to maintain that autonomy and that in and of itself is the success. So I, I could not give any advice, any direction, anything pertaining to getting into that Hollywood scope, that Hollywood circuit, that studio circuit. Um, Cause that's just not, that to me is not where my passion even, even lies.
0: Yeah. You, you, you asked, is the dream dead? And I'd say, If your dream is to work with a studio and have full creative control, yeah, that dream is dead because the reason we don't hear about these auteurs anymore is because the movie studios used to just be movie studios. Now they're all owned by corporations who don't give a fuck about making creative movies. Right. They just want to meet their their dollar, their profits, their whatever. Like a lot of movies released by studios now are loss leaders for other products and stuff. Right. So no, they don't care about your artistic vision. So if that's your dream, that dream might be dead. Sure. But in terms of the, the dream of going out there, making your art, making your movies, that's alive more than it ever has been. Because mm-hmm. in the past you needed huge amounts of money more even just to make a short film because of the cost of film stock and the cost of all the technology the prices have come way way down and like you know almost like 95, 99% of your art form as a director, as a storyteller, can be practiced with no budget at all now. And that's never been more possible than in this moment right now. So, if your dream is to make, like, a Marvel movie and have full creative control, yeah, that's not a realistic dream. You're going to make a Marvel movie, you're going to make the movie that Marvel wants you to make, right? But if your dream is to go out there and create and and, and create art that changes you as a person and that affects the people around you, and it you have an amazing collaborative experiences with people like that's what i'm here for and that dream like you can go do that as soon as you get out of this panel go make something like yeah. Right, yeah. N- right now
2: right yeah. now and that it's it's very exciting yeah. and i wanted to segue to i kind of then going back to what you talked about reaching like your passion and your passion going to the audiences that you want it to and you've talked about some interesting release strategies um you know whether it's the education platforms, um, churches. Um, yeah, I wonder if you could like tap into these sort of different alternative ways that you can get your film out there.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's again, it's starting with who is my audience? How do I reach them? And also, like, what are the things that they're into in terms of entertainment? So, for example, um, Daughters of Eve is a feature documentary that I made, and it's around dismantling misogyny and patriarchy within the Christian faith. It's very, very – it's a religious film. So, number one, it did incredibly well overseas. It won – Best Documentary at the Women's International Film Festival of Nigeria. It screened in Australia. It screened in France because Christianity is is global. So it actually did really, really well. Um, and then when it came to distribution, rather than educational library distribution, which it it did get picked up by some... Um, theology programs and humanities studies programs, but what was really big was church screenings because there are a lot of very progressive churches who are trying to incorporate these types of um, more liberal, more progressive conversations into their women's ministries, um into just their subjects overall. So that was me putting together a list of twenty churches. 30 churches, 40 churches, and just reaching out to their executive directors or their pastoral team or whoever that was and letting them know either, you know, it's available to watch on Vimeo and they're like, oh, this is amazing. We're sending this out or we'd like to host a screening. And then at screening, letting people know they can go to the website, sign up for the mailing list. This is where you can tell your friends, families, whoever. So it was like a really grassroots approach to that. Um, and then in the educational library space, um, have a film, Black Feminist, and it's around black feminism. And it's really it's a 60-minute, very concise educational film. And it did really well in schools. Um, streaming on Canopy right now. So if you have access to a library card, it's there. But um, it also was a part of a lot of different academic conferences, which was really, really interesting. Um, the Women's Museum in California did a digital exhibit on it. So like, Finding again like where those audiences are and how they would consume information is like really or or entertainment is just where where I start before I figure out which channels to yeah. to reach them.
3: Yeah. I, I do think also the like as creative as you can be with distribution, especially as a micro budget is really useful. My, like the first film I worked on was, I was hired to do marketing for it. It's called Cement Suitcase. It has a wine theme. It's the same director of the movie we're on distro right now for. And I just, we got a wineries list and I emailed hundreds of wineries saying, do you want to host a movie night at your winery? And I think we did like, Dozens and dozens of screenings, you know? Uh, And, you know, like we charged a small fee, which is what your educational distributors are doing on your behalf. Mm -hmm. We were just doing it ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So like really whatever you can think of and whoever you're – like this, it really comes down to a matter of like you need to be comfortable emailing and calling people and cold calling your butt off because that's what it comes down to is like you are limited by what you can come up with and who you're willing to talk to. Mm -hmm
0: yeah along these lines real quick i was just there's a saying now if any of you listen to the indie film hustle alex ferrari really great indie filmmaking uh, podcast but uh his saying is there's riches in the niches and the point there is like find your community find your niche audience that is already predisposed to like your content and that's a way that you can get into these lots of different creative distribution outlets is finding that connection between content and audience you know there's riches in the niches so you know you don't always have to be thinking in those terms, but when you find those communities that align with your content, like get it to them, get it out yeah. there. Mm-hmm.
2: And I know we're running short on time, but we did have a couple slides just to show some of the marketing. Do we h- think we have time? Um,
4: we have some questions too. We had a couple oh, hands. Do do raised. The, let's just go oh, to, go to questions. Go to yeah. questions? One, yeah. one
0: thing before we jump into questions, I just want to sum up. So all this distribution stuff, all this marketing stuff, it's a lot. It's 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 a lot to take in, there's a lot of details to it. There's reasons, there's people that make careers out of just all of these individual aspects of filmmaking. Yeah. And one thing I just wanted to note is that if you don't know what all of This stuff is, if you don't know all the details, like that's fine. That's fine. That's okay. At the end of the day, don't let this stop you from getting out there and making your thing and making your art and continue to grow as a filmmaker and grow your community, right? And like, one other point I want to make is like, we are all here, the independent filmmaking community together, the micro budget filmmaking community. So please like support each other, watch each other's films, watch micro budget films. That's a great way to support people too. Right. You know, connect with each other. This is much a part of the game as any of the marketing stuff that we're talking about. But at the end of the day, you need to you need to go out there and make the films so people can see what you're capable of and see the and hear the unique voice that you have inside of you. Oh, so don't let all this stuff stop you.
2: The the one one thing I did really quickly want to tap on. To, which might have to do with some of your questions is um, to sort of finish in the, on, on the sort of space of when you're starting your film, do you set aside a pot of gold, a pot of money that you are going to? Uh, I'm going to send it to this many festivals, or I'm going to set aside this amount of money for distribution, um, trying to get it to with theatrical, or you know, do you think in terms of money um, at the start?
3: You certainly should. You should. I mean, it costs money to submit to festivals, but I will just say you can get creative there too. If you've ever screened in a festival, email all those festivals and ask for a waiver. Or if you've never screened in that festival, email those festivals and ask for a waiver. You're going to get told no a lot, but you might get told yes. Like this is, I think the big takeaway should be like literally nothing can stop you. Like just, (laughs) just like if you are willing to ask Someone will say yes eventually, right? It's just being able to be told no a hundred times before someone is willing to tell you yes and say, and you know, being like, I have a vision, this is what I want. You do not need to have money stop you, I guess, especially not today.
2: Yeah. <laughs> are, I, I, are the questions supposed to go to the mic? Um, yeah. Sorry, I think it's because they're recording it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Line up with the microphone if you've got
2: a question.
4: I'm glad to use the mic, and I know we have to be quick because of time. So thank you so much. This was brilliant, and I so appreciate the answers that you've already given us. I have one question that may be offensive and then one that's (coughs) just
0: very elementary. (laughs) Bring the Um, offensive one. Let's
4: let's start with the offensive one. So if if you know what your vision is and and you know what you want to do, should you pay attention to any trends about what's making money or what people like or what is out there? And the second question is, when is your budget no longer a micro-budget? I just want to know what that looks like. As far as trends, like, again, it depends on how you are measuring success. You know, if you are like, I want as many people to see this film as possible, then you want to pay attention to what people are seeing and and what audiences are seeing what and what they're gravitating towards. I like using trends as more of just like background information and more so like what our audiences gravitating towards and then what are these particular films doing that are making audiences so attracted to it so I can incorporate that into my distribution and marketing strategy but it's not changing anything because ultimately the success for me is making the film I want to make. And and knowing that the audience is going to come to my film if I'm strategic about that, so there are ways to utilize that trend-specific information. But me personally, I don't let that drive my creativity and like what I want to do. Nailed it. Thanks.
3: Yeah, I don't. I to me, a micro budget is like anything that you are getting favors to make your movie. Like if you're if you're if you're like I mean. Okay, at a certain point, yes. If you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's tough to call it a micro-budget at that point. But I do think, like, micro-budget – a micro-budget film is one in which you are making creative trades, I feel like, more than anything. Mm -hmm. There is some money, but what you are doing is collaborating and trying to find a different way to make your film Mm – you know, with very limited resources. If your resources are very limited, you're making a micro budget. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, there's a number. No, that's right. I call it
0: the
2: credit
0: card thing. Yeah, yeah.
3: (laughs) Exactly. Thank you. My name is Antonia Carroll. I'm a writer and, uh, actor. Hi. And my question is about the timeline for distribution and marketing. Um, let's say I finished my script. Um, should I be submitting to screenwriting festivals or should I start casting? And then at what point am I thinking about, um, what other festivals for, <coughs> for screenings that I'm going to submit to, um, distribution, things like that? Just like what the timeline would be.
0: Well, I'd say let's take the word should out there because there's a lot of different ways to go about it. There's no one right way to go about it. And so it goes back to what we're talking about. What are your objectives, right? And you only have so much bandwidth as one creative person. Like you can only do so many things. That being said – it's absolute, and these two will talk much more about it, but it's absolutely advantageous to start thinking about your marketing strategy, your distribution strategy early on to have some ideas about that stuff because there's lots of things that you can be preparing ahead of time. You know, mm-hmm. having uh, behind the scenes on your, your shorter yeah. film, having people taking photos for you, thinking about promotional materials, thinking about like where you might target for your distribution. The, the earlier you think about that stuff, the easier you can make it out, out on yourself, but it's also, it's not essential. It's not essential. And if you don't do that, stuff it doesn't make you a failure or anything like that yeah
3: and i would say like yeah submit to everything but sometimes that costs money right so that's a trade-off too if you're saying i'm going to submit my script to all this stuff that could be hundreds of dollars it could be hundreds of dollars that you're taking away from your short film budget but i do think like I do think an approach of like everything, as much as you can manage, you should do it all as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a little overwhelming, but it's like a lot of times like submit to something, submit your script to things, maybe pick three that you think would actually benefit it or if it's worth the money and then forget about it. Move on, move on to the next thing, right? Mm -hmm. I think you kind of, a part of micro budgeting too is like, you really can't depend on anything until it happens. So it's sort of like, Make your best efforts, but, like, don't get too attached to anything. Have a backup. Have three plans past your original plan. Like, it's about just being really creative in how you get your film
4: made yeah and it also just you know it comes down to what your goals are for the film if you want this to be an award-winning film then the festivals are going to be top of mind for you but for me it's like i i map out my marketing and distribution strategy that helps craft my my schedule if i have a film festival deadline that i want to meet then i back out my production from that date i know i have to have picture lock by this date i know that i have to have you know things in order by by this particular date. Um, But it's also like, don't get too caught up in where it's going before it's made because you need to have something to actually submit, you know? So like once your script is done and you're ready to make the thing, focus on making the thing.
0: Yeah, okay. And well, one thing I'll just say on submitting to things, in terms of film festivals, in terms of screenwriting competitions, a lot of them suck and are not worth your time, are yeah, not true. worth your dollars. So 100%. be like before you submit to anything, I know that you get this excitement, you're like, oh, I'm going to submit to a thing, maybe I can win. But like, there's a lot of things that are just there to take your money and will yeah. be no benefit to you, even if you get into them. Yeah. Screenwriting competitions and grant competitions and film festivals. So just be like, I understand the excitement of clicking that submit button and, and, and submitting to something, but be very discerning do your research on things before you submit to them make sure it's really going to be worth your time if you get into it because a lot of them are just there to exploit you
3: yeah thank you and people only have so much bandwidth so if at a certain point you're like this is not fulfilling for me just move on to the next thing like that's okay too you gotta be honest with how much you can handle
2: i have i just wanted to i just thought of something quickly but i i i also wanted to say think of international um there are um I go to Cannes and I've, I've gone to incredible panels that are French based uh, sales agents that specifically deal with short films or specifically deal with micro budgets. And there's such a big audience in Europe for this type of material. So you might struggle here in the U S but if you start getting exposure over there or in a country that you're from or somewhere abroad, and then you come back here, you know, that can often help you. So I, I, I would encourage to think big.
0: Hi, this is a very
1: valuable panel for me. I teach in the film program at Full Sail University in Orlando. Mm -hmm. And I'm here at this panel because one of my students came to me last week and said, you know, I think I can make a feature for $11,000. I'll be able to make my money back, right? (laughs) And my question to him was not, what's your goal? My question was, what's your plan? And he didn't have one. Yeah. But my question then is, because you, Laura, you mentioned the creative trades. We can make trades because people want to be DPs that were camera operators, so they'll work for us for free. What on the marketing side can you trade if you want to get somebody like you who uh, would call 100 different wineries to get the movie (laughs) screened and all of that?
3: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good point. So I, I will say full disclosure, like that was a paid position. It wasn't very well paid, but it was paid. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's something too, where like, that's a little tricky. Cause I think that's, I think I will say like, for me, I work mostly as a producer. I find directors that I connect with and especially on their short films, I don't ever make money, but I'm willing to hustle for them. Right. Because I like their Like, I'm the person that's going to be emailing on behalf of that director. So I would encourage this director to find a producer that feels that way. Like, is that easy? I don't know. Right? But, like, these shorts I've made, two of them, one of them, Sojourn is a narrative, Status Pending is a doc. You know, these are filmmakers that I collaborated with because I believe in their vision and I like them as people. And that means I am for – like, these are movies I made years ago. I will – Hustle these movies forever. If I think I can find another opportunity for these movies, I'm going to. And I'm not going to – there is no timeline for those movies in my mind either. If I can find a distributor who wants to play ball, like, let's do it, right? It does get trickier, but, like, that's the reality. Like, you have to find a core team, I think, that's willing to to hustle forever for that film. But over time, you just – you get more projects. It becomes trickier, right? But, like – and and I will say like as a director, if you are a micro budget director, you're a producer. None <sighs> of the none of the directors I work with are not helping in a producerial capacity. Right. And I think it's unfair of a director to think yeah. I'm going to get someone to come okay. on to my project and I'm not going to have to do any of the producing legwork. Like, right. They're going. You're if you are in micro budget. Director, you are a producer, and you are going to have to do some of that stuff.
0: 100%. I just don't call myself a producer because I don't want to be a producer. A and job. that's it fair. But
3: me. I think it's like it's it's like anyone who is directing Micro yeah. Budgets knows they're doing producing stuff. Absolutely. But they still need a producer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
4: And also, like I love working with students, college students, going to film programs, marketing programs, PR programs, and saying, um, I'm looking for a, a – Marketing students or interns who are willing to, you know, work on this particular project for a six month span in exchange for credit or in exchange for whatever. And here's an email list, or here's, you know, I w- I need you to run the social for this for this page. I did that for for one of my films. They ran the Twitter page and did a phenomenal job putting together the social media calendar and telling me about the algorithms. And they were able to like put that in their portfolio as like, I actually did this for an award-winning film and, you know, the, it ended up getting their first out of school job as well, which was really cool. But like there, there are definitely ways to, to barter and collaborate in, in any facet of film production. And I think marketing for me just leaning into, to students.
0: Yeah. And I think there's just certain aspects of the filmmaking and it's typically the aspects that people Aren't looking to do creatively as a career, but, and can make easily money doing it. Uh, Yeah. It's just it's much harder to not pay for those things for, right. exa- you know, and just knowing that as a filmmaker ahead of time and setting aside some of that funding, being realistic about that is a great place to be. Like for me, like a good sound person, like you can almost never found, find a good sound person who's going to work absolutely for free. You're yeah. going to have to pay some amount of money for that. That position is very true. Yeah. yeah.
3: Pay a sound person who's going to get you good audio. Yeah, That's the biggest forgive, micro budget
4: too. Yes. People forgive <laughs> shitty visuals. They will never forgive shitty sound. And ever. like
0: knowing that ahead, of time you can budget for that right Right. and okay I got this budget it's got to go this much to sound marketing is another one it's really hard to do that find people to do that for free and so how are you going to build that into your budget ahead of time and then where is that going to take from what other places are we going to have to I'm going to have to take it on as a filmmaker I'm going to have to make it work or I'm going to hopefully have a team around me but you know what sometimes as an independent filmmaker it's hard to rally a team a team because as you all know making movies is really fucking hard and there's not that many people who are always down to do it so it's like you know sometimes you just got to take more on yourself you got to always be initiating your own stuff and that doesn't mean that you're lesser it just means it's really hard to make movies thank you
2: hi really quick i have a question if you guys wouldn't mind sharing a little bit of how you balance because you say you have full-time jobs and i i've struggled for many years and decided to go into academics to you know to be more to have a more stable living Mm -hmm. and um on that path, luckily, I actually went back to school and the, the, the school production got in here. So yeah. great. But but I'm still not like I'm aware I have to I make this academic choice, I'm gonna stick with it to make sure I could pay my bills. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile. So can you share a little bit about how was that like? Would you
3: <laughs> do to to be a filmmaker and
0: yeah yeah I mean I would say like there's gonna be times in your life where you're out of balance like and that's just gonna be a part of the process the stress level is gonna be high but you can't do that forever or else you're gonna burn out you're not gonna survive it and you're just gonna want to quit filmmaking we don't want you to quit filmmaking we want you to keep making your art and so finding that time and that space for yourself whatever it means for you as an individual because our brains all, all work differently we all have different needs is important right but at the end of the day remember you got to have your survival needs met first before you can be creative it's almost impossible to be creative if you're if you don't feel like your rent is paid if you don't feel like you have the money to put food on the table so first off forgive yourself for for going out and making money and maybe not being as creative as you want to be and then once you're ramping up into those projects say hey i can be overwhelmed i can be out of balance for a time but eventually you got to start questioning how am i getting back to balance what am i going to let go of so that i can take care of myself so i can rest so i can get a full night's yeah. sleep so yeah. i can eat so i can be less stressed <clears throat> like and it's uh, unfortunately there's no i don't have i'm out, i'm way out of balance right now i'm trying to figure <gasps> it out myself there's no magic bullet to it but it's just about being conscious of the state that you're in and doing little work over time to restore yourself to that place where you know you are more healthy more more ready to make another film, and then return back to that healthiness again?
4: I do three things. Number one, this is before the pandemic even. Every single one of my production meetings for any of my projects was virtual. Because having to get in a car and drive and go somewhere and meet, no. After work, I'm clicking a link. Whether we're going over the shot list, whether we're going over the production schedule, whether we're doing a table read, everything is virtual. So that saved and maximized a lot of time for me. Number two, I found my time pockets. If my job is nine to five, that means Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or Tuesday and Thursday, I'm picking two days where before work, from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., that's when I wrote my feature. From 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., I turned my phone on, do not disturb. All I did was write for three months, got the script done. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday after work from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Those are my time pockets where I'm doing the production schedule, where I'm doing whatever. But literally finding those pockets of time and only working on one project at a time. I will only do one film at a time, and I will not start working on another film until the other film is done. Because again, there is no rush when you have a full time job and your needs are met, so you don't have to be juggling a bunch. So, virtual finding the time pockets and working on one project at a time are literally how I'm able to continuously just like keep it going. I've made 15 films and directed eight of those, and I've had a full time job since I got out of college. <laughs> like it's just always been that way. Yeah, I
2: think. Thank you. Thank you. I think make it. Last point.
3: I mean, it's, it's the same. I work a full-time job and that's why I can make these micro budgets where I'm not getting paid. And that's something like, that's something where with the crew, I, like, I don't ever want crew, like, some people are making their life as freelance crew, right? So they're probably not a good fit for your short film. It is probably going to be people who are working, who have a paycheck, who can like have that luxury, right? So it's a, it's like a respect thing as well. But same, I work and then I go home and I work on the side projects. I find time on the weekends. I, it, it basically means you're kind of going all the time, but it is like you need to take care of yourself and find breaks and find outlets. But, and I will say, like, I think that like, the projects I've made on the fringes are the ones I'm like most proud of, right? Because what I'm getting paid for is so that I can live my life. I do interesting work. I like it. But it is those short films that I made in my off time that I'm the most proud of.
2: I think we have to finish. I know you had another question. Um, I swear last one. I swear it's the last one. Yeah, I'm Tatiana Bejarruzzi. I'm a student at Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, and I wanted to know like in a specific example of what you consider an, a success, and how did you do the distribution for each of you? We, oh, we do we do we have time to answer yeah. this? We that's might have to question. real quick.
1: Really. Yeah, no, let's we'll, we'll, we'll talk
2: about talk
0: it. Outside, we'll happily talk to you outside about that. that yeah. That's a very big question, but yeah, I think we got to wrap it up. Unfortunately, yes. yeah. We
2: do. Thank, but yeah, it is a good question. A question. Thank you, everybody. thank you, everybody. Thank you.
0: All right, that about wraps it up for episode thirty. That panel at South by Southwest. Alan, what'd you think? Dude, I loved it, man. I like, it's, I love everything y'all were talking about. One of the
1: uh, my favorite points you you know that you made was talking about how the act of creating, just how invaluable that is. Just that experience, like you have. That's kind of what it's you know the, the act of creating itself, and then again, like you know what I always add on, like giving it the opportunity to connect with people is kind of like what it's all about. And uh, everything else is, like you mentioned, like you all talked about, is you know you got to figure out what your specific goals are. In addition to that, that should be kind of like the engine for everything. I I really enjoyed this discussion. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this was uh, interesting for me to listen back to because this is the first time I've listened to it since uh, I did the panel uh, about seven months ago now. And a lot's changed in my life since then. Um, but I'm going to talk about the pers- the positive things that I I got from it first, which was I love my fellow pan- panelists Lauren Zana. They were amazing. I got had such a great time getting to know them at South by Southwest, and also just the experience. I think gave me a lot more confidence. And hearing after after this panel, we were sort of like mobbed outside of of the room you know so many filmmakers wanted to come up and talk to us and tell us how much they love the panel and and that was really cool that was a really fun experience we stayed outside the, the room talking for another hour hour and a half and i got to connect with so many amazing people um and it just you know i think i think it really actually i what i was trying to convey in that panel was a lot of the stuff that we talk about here on story life um just sort yeah. of focusing on getting out there and making stuff and not getting too distracted or overwhelmed by all these details and just getting out there and creating. And so I, I was happy in that. I think that message resonated on the panel, and I think it was something that I uniquely had to say and add to the panel.
1: Yeah, man. Once again, dude, seriously, great stuff. I was really impressed. And yeah, like you said, a lot of it aligns with uh with our mission as well. So, yeah, it was cool.
0: On the other side, though, being like, you know, be disclosing this being the first time that I listened to this in a while, that took me back to that time in my life. And this experience that was in many ways so joyous and such a big deal for me was marred by the like abusive relationship I was in at that time. And oh, right. the experience of listening to this for the first time in a moment when I should have been like positively reflecting on and reliving this amazing experience in my life, I started reliving a lot of the stress and pressure and kind of panic that I felt during that time from the relationship I was in. And so it was weird. I'm just walking around my neighborhood listening listening to our little recording, and all of a sudden I'm having like an emotional freakout um, with things that are like totally unconnected. So that was like the downside of this experience. And it's funny how listening to things from your past can take you so in Such real ways to that moment in your life,
1: yeah. No, it's all connected for sure. All the things from the rest of your life are intertwined with those moments, they all kind of serve as touchstones like throughout your life, too. So, well, at least I'm glad you're moving forward, kind of like having unraveled from that situation, learning and, and, and grew from it, and yeah, uh, and yeah, able to view things with a, a different perspective now.
0: And we will touch more upon all of that in future episodes, surely,
1: <laughs> yeah. For sure. Folks, if you want to reach out and uh hear more of our thoughts on uh all the things Clinton was discussing and and film and what have you, you can contact us at wearestorylife at gmail.com. Also please check out our website, wearestorylife.com. life.com, where you'll find more information about us and what we do as coaches and consultants for fellow artists, as well as links to our Patreon and social media pages.
0: Yeah, and we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh you can connect to us more directly. Uh at Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's Clinton Cornwell. Also, uh, Laura Reich, you can connect with her on Instagram. Her username is LJ Rye, L-J-R-E-I. And Zaina Theris on Twitter. Uh, she's just at Zaina with uh, two underscores.
1: And then uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Vimeo at Alan C. Gardner. It's A L L E N C G R D N E R. And on Instagram at Alan C. Gardner Movies. And if you want to check out some of my films, uh, Cold Feet is currently available on Amazon Prime, Google Play, and YouTube. And some of my other movies are available on several platforms, including Save Yourself an Act One on Tubi. And We Got Lucky and Bad Men on Amazon. Also, Being Awesome is now available on Tubi, Vudu, and the Roku channel. So check it out. Please
0: thank you to our editor Mike there's just no more words to say about you we lo- we love you so much and it's 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 a love that cannot be described our editor Mr. No. Mike Jimenez everybody for his wonderful work
1: the only word i would even use to describe it is endless um, and, and thank you one. to
0: our friends and families for all of their supports on our journeys. We couldn't do it without y'all.
1: Yes, thank you guys so much, um, folks. We have many more episodes coming up, so please subscribe and join us next week. This has been Clinton Cornwall and Alan Seagardner
0: with Story Life.
1: Take care. Thank you.
0: Uh, Alan's. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Here, I'll lead you in. I'll lead you in. No,
1: no, 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 no. I got this. Okay, Alan Seagard. Alan Seagardner. Gardner. Alan Seagardner. C. Gardner. <laughs> <Alan> C. Gardner. <laughs>